Good morning. All right, so today we're going to be looking at Psalms 25. We're going to start at the end of this passage, and it's going to be hearing about, kind of from David's own heart. Um, It's going to be pretty intimate where we start at, and then we're going to kind of walk through the psalm and see where he placed this as we go through it. So let's start in Psalm 25, verse 16. And Lorraine is going to read this to us, 16 through 21. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have been multiplied. Free me from anguish, look upon my affliction and my distress take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope is in you. Thank you, Lorraine. So have you talked to God like this? Asking for grace, resolving loneliness, affliction. How about feeling troubled or anguished in your heart? Looking for relief. And we begin going through, of course, Job and dealing with suffering in our regular series. That all comes before God. We hear David's heart doing that here. He is dealing with something. And he's seeking God. He's bringing his request to God. David's doing it here. Longer you live, most likely you're going to be doing it at some point in your own life. But there's two phrases I want to point out here that this just isn't a plea, a request. And we'll see how the Psalms builds up to where he makes this uh, request of God. But look at verse 20 and 21. For I take refuge in you, and because my hope, Lord, is in you. So this request is grounded in God. He he sees God as his refuge and his hope. Even though there is anguish and distress and affliction, God is David's refuge and hope. So pray with me as we go through this psalm, and then we'll look at how he builds it up and where he places this request. Dear God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you've recorded others and how they come before you. Thank you for the the truth and the realness of, of life that we can bring that to you and that we can talk of anguish and distress and affliction before God. Be with us today as we run through the psalm and we hear the, the trust and the, the beauty that we can have and come before you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I'm going to say a sequence of 
of, uh, of letters and numbers, and I want you to guess what comes next. Ten, nine, eight, seven, six, All right, good job. What about A, B, C, all right, so you get what I'm doing here. What about WWJD? And what about J-O? Well, B? Job? All right. <laughs> I was thinking joy. J-O-Y. <laughs> but uh, these last two, the WWJD, what does that mean? Anybody? What would Jesus do? All right. Yep, the letters give us something to remind us of. And then J-O-Y, if you haven't heard that one, is Jesus first, others second, yourself last. Um, spell, spelling out joy. And, uh, so, what are these? These are an acrostic, is what it is. And this psalm that we're looking at is an acrostic itself. That means the first letter of each verse in this psalm is following the Hebrew alphabet. Now, let's see if I get the pointer going here. Yep, yep. So that, this is basically the, the first letters of the Hebrew alphabet on this side. And, of course, they read from right to left. So the first side of it is on this side. So you will see the letter over here. So that's something that we don't see in the English. We can't, we can't make out that, that form. Of the, of the art they're going on. Um, but this is what, in, what, what the Hebrews, what the readers and the hearers would have seen. That as, they, as he starts the psalm and as it goes verse by verse by verse, there is this kind of sequence. You know what's coming next. You know what, how it starts next. And it's just one after another, after another, after another. So, so I take this as it's building, it's building, it's building. Now, we can't quite see that in English, like I said. But I find that kind of useful to know. You know, there's an art form here that God brought in through this psalm. So it kind of gives us a hint to what to look for. You know, what are we looking at as we're looking through the psalm? Evidently, there's some kind of sequence. There's some building going on. Now, is this... Just an interesting tidbit of the Bible? I don't think so. Because you know what we know about the Bible? That all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. So not only is this content of the psalm is inspired, but the Spirit moved David here to actually take the time and write it out in a specific form that also communicates across. Now, I find that awfully amazing. You know, those, that this is this is the Bible we're talking about. You know, this is this is this is the Spirit working through here, and He's working through art as well. So, if you're artistic. You know that God is the original artist around here. We have the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 
uh, starting with four, it tells us that there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them, and in every one of them, it is the same God at work. So from looking across the articles and studying about this psalm, there's varying opinions, just like a lot of times there is in most art, as to why is it particularly in this form. But everybody agrees it's very much a sequence. You know, the A, B, C, it's, it is, this is what the hearers will hear, this is what the reader will see. So we're going to look at this psalm together. We're going to look at that consideration of sequence and of building. And we're going to go verse by verse and a set of verses. And I want you to look for that. Imagine you're hearing that each one is taking you from one to the other to the other. And just like you're steadily stepping along. All right. So let's take a look at this. Uh, starting in verse one. Verse one starts with a very strong, solid foundation. In you, Lord, my God, I put my trust. David has already has his mind made up. He's already decided God is trustworthy. God is where he puts his trust. God is Lord. It's a decision that he has made. This is a starting point for this psalm. In you, Lord my God, I put the trust, or I put my trust. Doesn't this sound like something that we do ourselves as Christians? If we choose to follow Jesus and we come before him, what are we doing? We are taking that step and putting our trust in God through Jesus. Look at Romans 10, 9 through 10. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And Jesus says in John 10, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. So what do we do as we come to Jesus? We start like where David is starting. We start with, in you, Lord my God, I put my trust, is what we're doing. All right, so we got this, this firm foundation here. In you, Lord God, I put my trust. This is this is A. This is the starting point of everything coming after it. We then go into verse... Oops, there we go. Yeah. We go into verse 2. Because of this trust, he doesn't go up to his request. That's going to come later. But he knows from this trust there is outcomes and expectations that he can have. So verse 2. I trust in you... Do not let me be put to shame, nor let my enemies triumph over me. 
No one who hopes in you will ever be put to shame. But shame will come on those who are treacherous without cause. He knows what God has for him. He knows it's not going to end in defeat. And another psalm, David said it this way. I trust in God. Why should I be afraid? What can mere mortals do to me? As we trust in God, we can say the same thing. Whether it be our own struggling, going through suffering, going through those feelings that just, as David's describing, just feel like they're just crushing in on us. We know that when we place our trust in God through Jesus, we know how this ends. It doesn't end in defeat. It doesn't end in hopelessness. In Romans, continue on in Romans 10 there, as scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. You hear that echo of Psalms 25 in there? With this foundation of trust, each verse just keeps building. So we've got trust in the Lord, the God. He knows what he's going to expect. And then we just build. He just keeps laying out characteristics of God and understanding what God, uh, what that means in his life for God. So let's look at them. Look at, look at them kind of paired up. So verse 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11. We'll look through that range. All right. So I'm not going to read through all the verses, but glance at them. Look at, they're pretty short. Look at what he says God is and what, and what he expects from that. Verse 4 or 5, we have Savior. Next one. Then we have good. God is good, merciful, loving. Next up, we got upright. And then finally, we have faithful. Just stack, stack, build, build. And it's not just that. It's not just saying what God is. Because he's Savior, we know he's going to instruct us in truth and in hope for all days. We know that being good, he is, it's personal to us. He's addressing us and our own forgiveness and love. Being upright, this isn't just a, a angry God. This is a God that is going to engage with sinners, help guide and provide correction. And finally, there's a fulfillment of promises. Basically, we're reading about God's love here. Can you see it building? The trust, Savior, hope, God, personal, upright, just boom, 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 boom. One after another. There's a slight shift here, though. Look at verse 8 through 11. Prior to this, David was talking about using I and me, himself, like very, very personal. But as he's laying out these truths, one after another, it's like he can't contain himself anymore. And now it's actually talking about all God's followers is what's coming on. Um, so I, I, I kind of feel like this is a, if this was music, 
follow me here for a second. This is music. You would have a song that would start rather, rather easy, but it would be very solid. At verse 1, you'd be like, oh, I know this song because I know it goes this and this and this. I know what's, what's going to happen. But as it progresses through, it builds. And maybe there's a building of volume kind of going and crescendoing. And so you get one, two, four, six, and it's building and building. And you've got this shift from not just me or you personally, but now we're talking about all believers. And that brings us right up to verse 12. Now we're at forte. We're at full force in this music. And in this piece, in verse 12, it's almost like everybody is being brought to their feet and is saying, who then are those who fear the Lord? You know, this is, this is not a question of trying to find. This is like a call. Call out to, 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 to these followers of God, these, to us. So let's read verse 12 through 15. As, remember, we've built up these truths one after another, and we have this big declaration now for, for, the, for the masses, for all of us. Who then are those who fear the Lord? He will instruct them in the ways they should choose. They will spend their days in prosperity. And their descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. And then we have this personal statement that's being said by everyone. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. And it's almost like I can feel everybody being like, this is praising God. Wow. And this is where verse 16 comes in. We've just spent the trust. We've built all these truths on God. We've declared these statements. And then, and as, if it's music, I imagine it would kind of back off a little bit and you would have this David singing out at this point. Verse 16. Turn to me and be gracious to me. For I am lonely and afflicted. Relieve the troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. Look on my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. See how numerous are my enemies and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me. and Do not let me put to shame. For I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me. Because my hope, Lord, is in you. And then everyone around him, all of Israel turns and says in 22, Deliver Israel, a God, from all their troubles. So we have this powerful request because we have a powerful God. These truths are for us. And it's for us where we can come before him. So this isn't a plea that's put in hopelessness. And starting in verse 16, this is placed in the knowledge and the understanding of who God is and what he does. As Christians, we have access to that same amazing truth. Romans 8 
starting about 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, your anguish, suffering, just put it all in there. Know in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So we can say with that confidence, as we see in Romans 10, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is your mouth that you profess your faith, and we are saved. This is what I see is going on in the psalm. You know, it's very much more than just a just a plea. You have to kind of take in the whole psalm and follow it through step by step and feel that build up and see the character traits of God and what it means to us. And what's that bringing to us? That allows us to be the ones that respond in a similar fashion. We can all stand up and say, who then are those who fear the Lord? It's me. It's me. We are those people. If you don't know that, that, that sureness, that trust, you're in the right place. Because it does get murky sometimes. You can hear that in, in David's Psalms. It, he has that anguish. But he knows who God is. So come. We're going to pray in small groups later on. If you have questions on that or if you need to declare that, maybe use that time. If not, maybe find somebody else. Ask questions if you need to. Or you can just use it as praise to God at that point. So, I'm going to close in a prayer. And I want you to think about God's truths as we come through that. And what that means in your own life. Let's pray. Dear God, we come before you and we know that we can say, God, I put my trust in you. We know that you hear us, that you are provided a savior, provided a plan. You just have an amazingness that reaches down into our lives. Well, we can take up the requests of our own hearts. We can make that request of God, Turn to me, be gracious, for I am feeling lonely or afflicted. Relieve my troubles of my heart and free me from my anguish. And we know that, God, that we take refuge in you and that you are our hope. In Jesus' name, amen.